hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. morning. If you're expecting the uh, end of that, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, That was probably added later. That wasn't in the earliest manuscripts of the Lord's Prayer. It's in the King James Version. Uh, The NASB puts little parentheses around it. The NIV and the ESV don't, don't even include it. So, it's, it's there, and it's good words, but we probably won't include that as we begin today to talk about the Lord's Prayer. In the Christian life, uh, there are things, if you didn't know, that we call spiritual disciplines. Things we do not earn, uh, we don't do to earn God's favor, but we do to grow in our relationship with God. Things like Bible study and worship and uh, evangelism, sharing our faith, and serving, and giving, and prayer. And it seems that for many Christians, prayer is the most difficult of these disciplines. Now at Bridges, one of our core values, these are our core values here, one of them is the D in Bridges, dependence on prayer. But sometimes I wonder, is that true of us? Do we really depend on prayer? Really, do we depend on God to hear and to answer our prayers? I've said and I've heard others, other believers say in small groups, in conversations, things like, it's really hard to concentrate when I pray. I I lose my train of thought. I've even fell asleep, fallen asleep while praying. I'm not always sure how to pray or what I should be praying about. When I do pray, I can feel like God isn't even there. He's not, he's not listening. I don't think I'm understating it when I say, in general, as Christians, prayer is, is not our first or second or even our third favorite activity. It's not the way we create excitement in the church. Have a, have a time of food, of fellowship, of Bible study, of even worship. Even, even service, and you can count on people showing up, but call a prayer meeting, and attendance drops dramatically. Case in point. I'm getting personal here, by the way. With you, not just with me. Uh, we've had a morning prayer meeting at Bridges, a, a prayer meeting before our service. 45 minutes, 30 minutes, different, it varied different an hour sometimes. For the past 15 years, led by our faithful prayer warrior, Georgia Gibbons. And yet the average attendance is around four to six people. Our actions as a church and as individuals does not seem to reflect our dependence on prayer, our dependence on God who who hears and answers our prayers. We know in our heads that prayer is important, but we also know it isn't easy. And we struggle to consistently go before God in prayer. Now, now we could spend some time talking about the reasons why we struggle to pray. But that's not what I want to do. Because that would turn the focus on us, on our 
laziness, our faithlessness, our lack of discipline, our lack of understanding, our lack of trust in God. And that's uh, just a, a bummer, a downer, right? So instead, I want to turn our focus on prayer and on the God to whom we pray. Because I think one of, the, one of our major problems is, is we don't really understand prayer. We don't get it. We don't get its purpose. We don't get its priority. And, and most of all, we don't get the privilege it is to be able to pray. We don't understand prayer. And, and, and I consider it part of my responsibility. Not that I understand everything. I will say, you know, we're, we've stopped our... Uh, I don't have like the sabbatical sermons anymore. But this is stuff, too, that came out of my sabbatical as well. I'm preaching to myself. I just want you to know that. And some of the things that God dealt with me uh, during my sabbatical. And I consider it uh, part of my responsibility as your pastor to encourage and exhort you, along with me, to grow in our understanding and our experience of prayer. Experience of God through prayer. And the best way I know how to do this is to look at the prayers of the Bible. I believe these prayers were given to us both to help us know how to pray and to inspire us to make prayer a part of our daily life. To give us examples. To give us examples of prayers in in different situations in life. We recently spent some time, if you were with us, looking at one of the prayers of the Bible. Psalm 86. And I pray that we've grown through looking at this prayer of David in our desire to prayer, our understanding, our desire. But the Bible has many, many prayers. I don't think one is enough. I've included the the address, the location of some of these prayers in your notes if you want to take time this week and look at them. The, The book of Psalms is called the prayer book of the Bible. Because it's filled with all kinds of prayers. Prayers that reflect the vast range of circumstances and emotions that we experience. And in the New Testament, Paul gives us uh, several examples of his prayers. Philippians 1, 9-11. Ephesians 1, 16-21. And 3, 14-19. Colossians 1, 9-12. And, and, and if you'll go look at these prayers, here's what you'll notice you'll notice that these prayers uh, don't really focus on the physical difficulties we experience, but on our spiritual need to know God. We also have Jesus' high priestly prayer. That's a, that's a big one. John chapter 17. An example of how Jesus prayed for His disciples, how He prayed for His church. And we could learn a lot from any of these prayers, and maybe we will at some time in the future. But the prayer that I want us uh, to focus on over this summer is what we call the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't, you probably have a heading in your Bible, if you have a Bible, where it, where it comes up. It says the Lord's Prayer. The, the Bible doesn't call it the Lord's Prayer. We do. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, and again in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. It's given by Jesus as a, as a model prayer. Now today I want to introduce the prayer. If you remember last week, we talked about how, uh, about not seeing the forest for the trees. I talked about Southern California and South Carolina and the trees and the desert and all that. Well, this week I want to start by first seeing the forest. 
Yes, we'll look at the trees. We'll spend some time looking at individual aspects of this prayer, but, but we need to get above it. We need to get the big picture. We need to get a perspective first. We need to see the whole prayer at once. So, so when we look at it each uh, separately, we understand where it all, how it all fits together. But first, even before we do that, I want us to, to give us a caution about the Lord's Prayer. That's the first point this morning. A caution about the Lord's Prayer. This prayer may be the, uh, the set of words spoken most often uh, throughout all of history. Jesus gave it to us that we might understand and be inspired to pray. This prayer provides us with, with the key to experiencing conversations with God the way He intended them to happen. And the thing is, most of us know it. Uh, it's familiar. You hear it, it's familiar. Some of us have, have memorized it. Some of us memorized it without knowing we memorized it. We just went to church and we heard it again and again. Yet we still struggle. To, we have this awesome prayer. Jesus says, pray like this. He gives us the prayer. Yet we still struggle in our prayer lives. We don't take to heart the pattern of prayer that Jesus provided. And I think one of the reasons is because of familiarity. In his book on prayer, Tim Keller gives this illustration. Imagine you are, for the first time, visiting someone who has a home or an apartment near a, a train tracks. Maybe it's the Allens. They have a home near the train tracks. You're sitting there in conversation when suddenly the train comes roaring by, just a few feet from where you're sitting, and you jump to your feet in alarm. What's that? You cry. Your friend, the resident of the house, responds, what's what? You answer, that sound, I, I thought something was coming through the wall. Oh, that, she says, that's just the train. You know, I guess I've gotten so used to it that I don't even notice it anymore. With wide eyes, you say, I don't see how that's possible. But it is. And it can be the same with the Lord's Prayer. The whole world is starving for spiritual experience. And, and Jesus gives us the means in just a few words. Jesus is saying, as it were, here it is. The key to coming face to face with, with the Father, the King of the universe every day. Wouldn't you like to pour out your heart to Him and, and in a sense uh, have Him listening and loving you since Him? We say, of course, yes. Jesus responds, it's all in the Lord's Prayer. And we say, in what? It's so familiar. We can, we can no longer hear it. Yet, yet what we need is within it. And over the upcoming weeks, that's what I want us to see. I want us to break through our familiarity in this prayer and come to embrace it as a, as a precious gift from our Lord and Savior. A model prayer that Jesus has given us for the purpose of drawing into the presence of our Heavenly Father. And that leads us to the context of the Lord's Prayer. What are the circumstances that caused Jesus to give this prayer? To teach, to pray like this? We'll be focusing on the Lord's Prayer found in the Gospel of Matthew. And the, the larger context, the circumstances surrounding this prayer, is the Sermon on the Mount, found in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we get the context of Jesus' sermon. We read that Jesus, seeing the crowds, 
He went up on the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and what follows are Jesus' teachings to his disciples and to the crowd on many things. This, this sermon is regarded by most uh, as the greatest sermon of all time. President Harry Truman said about it, I do not believe there's a problem in this country or the world today which could not be settled if approached through the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins his sermon with the Beatitudes. The attitudes we should have are our, our Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the, those who mourn, the meek. He then talks about being salt and light in our world. That for God's glory, we should let our good deeds shine forth. He teaches on the law. And then he teaches on anger and lust and divorce and oaths and revenge. He's actually against all of those things, just so you know. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to give to the needy. He talks about the importance of fasting and, and laying up treasures in heaven. He teaches about not being anxious and not judging others. He gives us the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he warns us about false prophets, false prophets and, and false Christians. And he brings it home with a picture of the importance of obeying his word. Those who hear and obey are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And those who hear and do not obey are like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And in the, that's, a, that's my summary of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of this amazing sermon, Jesus also teaches about prayer. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 5, leading into the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who, who sees in secret will reward you. In Jesus' day, there were set times of prayer when, when the pious Jews would stop what they were doing and pray. Some would pray discreetly, but others would make a show of their prayers. And so Jesus teaches the importance of praying in secret. Now Jesus wasn't condemning public prayer. On several occasions, we have him, he prayed publicly. And as always, Jesus was concerned not primarily with outward action. Jesus was concerned with their internal motivation. Jesus cares about the heart. And he's teaching that prayer is not for public display. It's not so people uh, look at us and say, wow, he sure can pray. I wish I could pray like she does. That's the opposite of what, what prayer should be about. We need to see that whether we are praying out loud in a group or silently alone, prayer is entering into the presence of God. Prayer is about, wow, I'm in God's presence right now. And notice also that prayer is rewarded. I believe the reward is not just answered prayer, but the privilege of entering God's presence. Jesus, Jesus continues, and when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's an important thing. You might 
underline. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's going to come up as we look at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has already said, don't be like the hypocritical, the pious Jews who pray to be seen by others. Now Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles. In Jesus' day, Gentiles uh, were pagans and worshipped all, all manner of false gods. And when they prayed, they repeated the names of their gods or, or, or the same words over and over. And, and, and the words were supposed to have some, some magic, if you will, impact. Just saying the words without thinking. Again, Jesus is not saying you cannot pray for something more than once. He's, he's prohibiting mindless, mechanical repetition. He's not prohibiting the earnest repetition that flows from the imploring heart there have been times in my life where I've, where I've got on my knees and I've prayed earnestly, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And if you read through the Psalms, you notice a lot of repeated themes. David prays for similar things over and over again, but always with an earnest heart. Notice also that prayer isn't primarily about getting what you want or even what you need, even before you ask, before you pray, your Father already knows what you need. Prayer is about entering into the presence of your Father. So Jesus' introduction to the Lord's Prayer emphasizes that prayer is personal, a rewarding, heartfelt entry into the presence of God the Father. And when you enter His presence, Jesus says, pray then like this. He then goes on to give this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So let's turn to the, the prayer itself. I want, us to, I want, I want to give, a, give us an overview, a, sort of a bird's eye view of this prayer, the content of the Lord's Prayer. I want us to see that the content of this prayer is very true to life. Life is a combination of the spectacular and the simple, of the fantastic and the familiar, the extraordinary and the ordinary, the awesome and the average, the exotic and the everyday. Just a note. Uh, when I prepare a sermon, I use the Bible and I use, uh, I use a thesaurus a lot, just so you know. So I don't, I don't, these don't come to me. I, have to, I slave over a thesaurus. I just want you to know that. Okay. So, so one day, so we're talking about life has like the, the earthly and the heavenly, if you will. One day you might take a special trip to Disneyland or the beach or the mountains, whatever is your uh, favorite destination. And the next day you're back to your normal routine. You're in your cubicle at work. You're, you're, you're doing your daily routine. That's the way life is. And that's the way the Lord's Prayer is. We first see this in G as Jesus addresses the person the person of the Lord's Prayer. By that I mean the person to whom we are praying. Jesus says, we are to pray to our Father in heaven. There are two important concepts about this person that we're praying to. First, He's a Father to us. Now, fathers are usually wonderful uh, things to have. I thank God for my uh, Father. But fathers are pretty normal, pretty regular, even mundane. For the most part, everyone has one. But the Father to whom we pray is different. He's in heaven. He's spectacular and He's special. He's infinitely above and over all. He's anything but normal 
or mundane. So he's a father, a regular part of earthly life. And his fatherhood corresponds to his desire to meet our earthly needs. But he's in heaven. His heavenliness corresponds not only to his power to meet our needs, but to his supreme right to be given worship and allegiance and obedience. The prophet Isaiah gives us a good picture of this dual understanding of God. He writes, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is a contrite of, of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is high and, and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. He is holy. He dwells in the high places, the holy places. But He also dwells with the contrite, with the the lowly of spirit. He's a king and He's a father. He's holy and He humbles Himself. He's far above and He comes to be with us. He has plans for the whole earth and for the universe. And what we see in the Lord's Prayer is that God wants us to, to care and to pray about these great things, these great plans, but He also has plans for your personal life. At the most practical level, God wants you to pray to that as well. Pray about that as well. We see this clearly in the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. When we're talking about prayer, a petition is a request we make of God. Something we ask God to do. Now, the Lord's Prayer has, has six petitions that break up into two halves, two parts. The first three petitions, the first half is found in verses 9 and 10. They are, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to ask God to bring about three things. God, cause your name to be hallowed. We'll talk more about that. Cause your kingdom to come. Cause your will to be done as it's done in heaven. Now the second part of the, uh, uh, of the, the, the three petitions are give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I hope you can see and, and even feel the difference between these two parts. The first three requests are about God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. The last three parts are about our food, our forgiveness, and our holiness. The first three call our attention to God's greatness. And the last three call our attention to our need. The two parts have a very different feel, uh, very different purposes. The first part feels majestic and lofty. Its purpose is spiritual and heavenly and eternal. The second part feels a little mundane and lowly. Its purpose is earthly and physical and temporal. And this is as it should be. This is what we need. We need to be lifted up to the spiritual, to the heavenly, to the eternal purposes of God. We need to know these are the things for which we were created, but we also need to deal with our current reality here on earth. In the Lord's Prayer, these two come together. The glorious and the common, the majestic and the mundane the lofty and the lowly. There's a, a correspondence between the content of this prayer and the content of our lives. Paul says for believers, for those who've trusted in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Heaven is our ultimate destination and home. And that should impact how we pray. We're eternal beings. But we still live a day-to-day existence here on planet Earth. And that should impact our prayers as well. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, King Solomon declares, God has put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I take this to mean that the, the human soul has the capacity to feel its own eternal nature. Deep in every soul is the knowledge that there's more than the here and now. We have eternity in our hearts. But our ordinary mundane experiences in this world keep, keep us from, from seeing that eternal nature sometimes. We cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We're heavenly, eternal creatures bound to this earthly existence. And Jesus knows that. And so the prayer He gives us addresses all of who we are. It's filled with the eternal and the earthly. Verse 11, hallowed be your name. Father, cause your great and holy name to be honored and revered and esteemed and and treasured above all things everywhere in the world, including in my heart. Verse 10, let your kingdom come and call and cause your glorious sovereign kingly rule to hold sway without obstruction everywhere in the world, including my own heart. Verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And cause your all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will to be done all over the world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven and make it happen in me. That's breathtaking. That's a breathtaking part of this prayer. And when we pray it, we're caught up into the great things, the glorious things, the global and the eternal things of God. God wants this to happen. He wants your life to be enlarged and enriched and ennobled, soaring. But then we pray, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Father, I'm not asking for bounty or riches. I'm asking for bread. Just enough to give give me life. I want to live. I want to be healthy and have a body and a mind that works. Would you give that to me? I, I need that for my body and for my mind. I need this bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven every day. I can't live and flourish with guilt. If I die, I, I have to bear my guilt every day. I have no desire to hold any grudge. I know I don't deserve forgiveness, and so I have no right to withhold it from anyone else. I let go of all the offenses against me. I I know I don't deserve it and cannot earn it, but because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, please have mercy upon me and forgive me and, and let me live in the freedom of your love. Verse 11, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Father, I don't don't want to go on sinning. I'm thankful for forgiveness, but Father, I don't want to sin. Please don't lead me into entanglements of the things that are overpowering temptations. Deliver me from evil. Guard me from Satan and from all his works and all his ways. Grant me to walk in your holiness. That's the earthly part of the prayer. The mundane, the daily, nitty-gritty of the Christian life. We need food, we need forgiveness, and we need protection from evil. These six petitions are meant to provide us with guidance as we come into the presence of our Father in heaven. 
when you don't know how to pray or what to pray or even when you think you do, go to the Lord's Prayer. Go to your Heavenly Father. Allow Christ's teaching on prayer to guide and direct your prayers. I'd encourage you this summer. Is, 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 this, is June the beginning of the summer? It's school. What, what, what is it? Help me now. Because school used to like... School's now getting out way earlier, and so I'm confused. But this, this, our summer is when the school's out. So this summer, as we look at this model prayer, as we ponder it, as we take it apart a little bit, this prayer given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I would, I would, I would call you, I would challenge you, exhort you to, to make this a, a summer of prayer. Not that you'll stop praying when summer is over, but, but that summer will be a, a launch pad for you into a, a lifetime of experiencing all God has to offer you in prayer. And so as Chad comes to lead us in communion, I'd like to remind you of, of just three opportunities for prayer. For prayer with others here in the church. Things that we do. Sometimes we need to pray with one another. So first, I'd invite you to make a commitment to come and pray on Sunday mornings. It's uh, 9.15. It's not 7.30. It's 9.15. That's pretty good. How many, how many people go to work and have to be to work before 9.15? Okay. So it's not that difficult. You can still get a little extra sleep. Most people work, I don't know, 9 to 5, 8 to whatever. Make a commitment to come and pray for your church for the people in your church, for your personal needs, for our missionaries. Those are all the kinds of things we, we pray for our service today. Make a commitment to come and, and join us. Second, during the summer I want to emphasize that, that if you have personal needs, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual needs, that we at Bridges would love to pray with you. On Sundays, we'd love to pray with you. Every, I mean, we'll pray with you anytime. Show up, call, make an appointment. I'd love to pray with you. But on Sundays, we're here specifically. Every Sunday after service, we're available. Myself, the elders, others in the church are available to pray with you. And if you would like that, you can signify it. You can signify that desire just by coming forward at the end of the service the guys are usually playing a little music, coming forward, sitting in this front row. If the front row happens to be filled, use the next one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and someone will happily come and, and pray with you. Third, we have the prayer cards in front of us. And this is a little less personal, but, you know, it's a starting point. You can take out those prayer cards, and if you have a need, if you uh, know someone else that has a need, you can write it down and turn it in in the, the box on the back. And we have people, we send those out to people who will pray for them throughout the week. Jesus has taught us to pray. God has blessed us with this wonderful gift of prayer. And He's blessed us with people uh, who are willing to pray with us. Pray for us. We must not only study about prayer, we must also pray. So, so signifying our commitment to grow in our prayer lives, would you stand with me as we pray the Lord's Prayer out loud together? Our Father in heaven, 
out loud together. Ready? One, two. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Chad.